You are listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. The world is evolving. Your investments should too. Hi there, this is Raj Lala, and I'm joined by Dr. Chitra Dorai. She's a computer scientist, she's very much an AI expert, an innovation advisor, and also an entrepreneur. She's formerly of IBM, and she was a fellow uh, at IBM and CTO as well. She's got 25 years of R&D experience, an extensive portfolio of innovations with research contributions in computer science, cognitive computing, computer vision, industry analytics, multimedia systems, machine learning, stream processing, and cloud computing. She's also recognized as an IBM Fellow in 2015 and an IBM Distinguished Engineer in 2012. Uh, I think this is really interesting. She received the Gerstner Award for Client Excellence, which is IBM's highest honor in 2011. And she's also recognized as an IBM Master Inventor uh, in 2011, 14, and 2017. And she's written over 100 publications, or she's been in 100 publications, uh, including a number of books and, and journals and international academic conference speaker as well. It's quite an accomplished background. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Rosh. Maybe we can start with something that I think has been very important uh, in your life as well and is uh, quite an accomplishment. I think in 2015, you were designated as an IBM Fellow, which is IBM's highest uh, technical recognition. What did this designation actually mean to you? Uh, and maybe even a little bit more personal, what did it mean to you as a female? So the uh, Raj, uh, the title of IBM Fellow is uh, you know uh, the is IBM's preeminent technical distinction, and it is uh, um, given to folks in recognition of their outstanding and sustained uh, uh, body of technical achievements and leadership in engineering, programming, services, and computer science. So um, there are about 100 active fellows in IBM and uh, just only a total of 296 folks appointed as IBM fellows in IBM's history since this uh, recognition began in uh, 1963. So therefore you can uh, imagine in what an ultimate honor you know, for me uh, to be appointed as uh, one of the IBM fellows in 2015. Uh, it's uh, it's therefore a very cherished one uh, for a technical person. You know, uh, I'm an electrical engineer and uh, with a PhD in computer science. Um, uh, this recognition means a lot, and it also has special meaning uh, to me uh, because I am the first Indian woman in the globe to be appointed as an IBM Fellow. So um, you can imagine uh, the you know uh, given. In, in the 52 years of uh, this fellow program uh, that I was the first one, what it means to me, not just to me, but also to the entire country of India, uh, given its uh, technology focus. Uh, so I was very thrilled. That's great. Congratulations. Obviously, it's a very big honor. So you're also a former CTO for the Cognitive Solutions uh, and Services at IBM. Can you talk a little bit about and try maybe keeping a high level uh, what what cognitive computing is and how how can cognitive computing actually really help businesses? Yeah, before we talk about cognitive computing, perhaps you know it may be useful to uh, to 
just talk about machine learning, AI, and then cognitive computing. I know these words get thrown about quite a lot uh, uh, in, in today's world. Uh, so if you start with machine learning, uh, it, it, you know, it's, it, one should think of that as the statistical analysis, right, programs that can do statistical analysis of data uh, in order to uh, recognize patterns in the data so that they can make data-driven predictions. Right, and mm-hmm. uh, you know either through the patterns they recognize or the, through uh, new kinds of patterns they discover in the data. So it is really a, a pattern recognition uh, field, uh, which is machine learning. And machine learning is a part of AI, but uh, it's just not enough to do uh, uh, recognition. Right? Think about a self-driving car, where you do have machine learning algorithms which are constantly recognizing what's happening on the road. Uh, you know, recognizing the stop signs and the traffic light changes and uh, pedestrian crossing signs and so on. But that's not just enough for a self-driving car because you need to, once you recognize if it was a pedestrian crossing the car, you have to reason and plan and schedule stopping. And uh, that's what AI is about. So AI is more than machine learning, uh, and it also uh, takes into account knowledge representation, reasoning, planning, scheduling for advanced tasks. And it typically includes computer vision, which is what, um, you know, I did my thesis in PhD thesis in uh, natural language understanding, uh, etc. And cognitive computing, if you say, it is really think of that as a, as a paradigm of computing which uses the machine learning techniques and AI in order to assist humans in decision making and reasoning. And that is done not just by throwing these techniques on data, applying these techniques to data, but also having deep industry expertise, having a uh, um, uh, having a repository of domain models, one may say, uh, in order to build useful um, useful tools um, that can be deployed for different industrial applications. So, uh, and cognitive computing is also in, is a field where people uh, tend to build neuromorphic chips, you know, uh, chips uh, um, that can emulate the behavior of the brain. So it's it's a broader uh, think of that as a it's a broader umbrella that has uh, machine learning AI in it. And uh, why is it important to today's world? Because for the first time, businesses can actually truly transform themselves as they become. Uh, 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 digital, you know, end-to-end electronic, uh, they can look at their existing processes and uh, decide on what kind of AI um, and machine learning models they can infuse in their processes so, they, so that they can rethink the, uh, how the work gets done. So uh, think about the cognitive computing as a way of uh, uh, infusing intelligent automation and uh, uh, deeper meaningful engagement with customers. Right. So let's talk about the, the human aspect uh, of this. You know, we, I talk to a lot of people. Uh, we have a number of our exchange-traded funds that are investing in AI-related companies and robotics and, and, and big data as well. But um, I, when, when, when I talk to people sometimes, they're, they're extremely fearful of, the, of what AI is going to do uh, into our our future, 
and uh, and the replacement of you know we've I'm sure you've seen more studies than I have, but anywhere from 40 to 50 percent of the the jobs out there anywhere from over the next 10 to 20 years. How do you see AI uh, playing out as it relates to the jobs market uh, over the next 10 20 years? Uh, number one, should people be so fearful uh, of uh, the development of AI? And then I think what I what I'd also like you to cover off here is. Can we talk? Can you can you talk a little bit about the the amazing uh, things that artificial intelligence are actually creating? I mean, you talked about self-driving cars. I think that that is imminent uh, in the in the future as well. But what about um, what about other areas of AI and 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 also you know the ability to analyze data, for example, in the healthcare sector? Oh, absolutely. So um, let's take the fear factor. I think uh, you know. Um, uh, given our, you know, everyone's familiarity with Siri and Alexa, uh, AI is in the fro- forefront of all the, uh, you know, sensational news articles. So, uh, however, when you look at the actual capabilities of AI or the state of AI research and how, you know, what practical systems are being built, um, I think uh, th- uh, those fears are overblown, I would say. So it's going to take quite a while for us to have uh, 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 what we call a general purpose uh, um, artificial intelligence system uh, that can come anywhere close to what humans can perform. What we have today are uh, what's normally called narrow AI systems, systems that can perform uh, quite well in a particular task. Think about Siri, which is uh, very good in terms of uh, fetching the information in response to the queries one asks, but outside of the scope of whatever it can find, if you start talking, you know, uh, generally, if you start asking general purpose question, you you know what happens. It's pretty uh, brittle, what we call brittle. So, but it's come a long uh, way. I mean, I remember Siri from a few years ago uh, compared to today, obviously. It's come a long way in its ability to actually uh, satisfy your, your questions and, and, and help you find what you're looking for. Absolutely. I think, you know, the, the currently where it is is a very intelligent, right, search and yeah. uh, uh, information access. And uh, my son has a lot of fun asking Siri what's the meaning of AI. I think Siri has <laughs> definitely come a long way in terms of humor, you know, how it uh, answers yeah. uh, those questions, the meaning of uh, life. Uh, so, um so uh, you know, coming back to the fear factor, I think it's quite a you know uh, quite a ways off in terms of uh, uh, humanity being taken over by these uh, uh, computer overlords. Um, so having said that, I think where it is excelling, you wanted some specific examples of where it has done well. Um, uh, you know, when I was at IBM, I myself uh, was involved globally in many different kinds of AI projects and. Uh, um, what I observed is that there are three distinct patterns of uh, adoption of AI and where AI systems have uh, uh, done well within the narrow scope of their uh, particular domain. Uh, one, of course, is chatbots, you know, going beyond Siri and Alexa. Um, These chatbots today are deployed in uh, across many industries in truly transforming the uh, contact center operations and in providing it a delightful customer experience. And we, um, uh, you know, uh, for for example, to give you the kind of efficiencies one could get, uh, our experience shows we. 
develop chatbots that can actually not only assist customers in terms of uh, incoming calls, we actually deployed it to assist people, um, the agents in the contact centers who are assisting uh, the customers. And we saw uh, anywhere between uh, uh, 15 to uh, 20% uh, reduction in terms of, um, uh, you know, second calls because the chatbots were able to provide the agents with the, uh, with the uh, right kind of information answers uh, more readily. So the customers calling in were getting uh, were getting their questions, their problems solved. And uh, we also have seen uh, that uh, advantage that efficiency even uh, becomes larger when these chatbots are deployed. Uh, um, in, in front of the customer directly, you know, without, it's not in the agent assist pattern, but directly as a virtual, um, virtual agent. There we have seen anywhere, you know, all the way up to 80%, uh, depending on how well the system has been trained. So, uh, we have built chatbots in the, you know, in banking, in retail, in, you know, um, in, in many other industries. I, that is one pattern which is very pervasive. Do you think that um, do you think that the average person out there has had a conversation with the chatbot and they don't know that they did? Uh, no, I think uh, companies are very mindful of uh, ensuring that uh, when they are deploying chatbots, that they are alerting, right? That uh, yeah. so that uh, the customers uh, or uh, have the option of. Uh, working directly with the chatbot or with the human being. So okay. currently there is no, uh, you know, explicit um, um, obfuscation of uh, who Well, I saw the, uh, I'm sure you've seen that demo of Google Assistant uh, trying mm-hmm. to book the, uh, trying to book the, uh, the hairdressing appointment for somebody. And uh, if I didn't know that that was a chatbot or a robot, I would have, I, I, I would have absolutely 100% believed it was a real uh person-to-person conversation. Yes, yeah, I think that's where I think AI is getting better and better in that, in terms of uh, um, not just providing what we call templated responses, right, canned responses, but being also being very flexible uh, about uh, um, taking on variations, all the variations uh, 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 through which the questions can come and providing more uh, natural sounding, what I could call the right human, uh, human, humanistic uh, response. Um, that's where the you know uh, where we are seeing a lot of progress. Yeah, so I'm sure you read the article that Economist uh, was published in the Economist I think last year uh, that said that the world's most valuable resource is no longer oil uh, but data. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, you know, I often hear you know, data is the new gold, or in this case, the art, that article talked about data is the new oil. Uh, and I know these are all intertwined, right? I know that data being intertwined with the ability to use artificial intelligence and, and cognitive computing and so on. But what, what's your view? How important is data? Because we're seeing this massive manufacturing of data uh, today. Again, another thing that I think scares uh, some people but you know we are living in a in an increasingly connected world where there's so much information about us as individuals out there uh how important do you think this is going to be going forward absolutely you know this is a 
this is a topic I wrestle with as a data scientist uh, every day. So uh, in today's world, every corporation, every company, is, right, this has, has become a data company, essentially. They may be selling, one might be selling shoes, another might one be a, a bank, right, uh, selling mortgages. But at the end of the day, they are collecting vast amounts of data and they are generating operational data through their interactions with the customer and they consume data about the customers from the, right, everything available publicly about the customer. So uh, data has become uh, the true backbone of a corporation and uh, and it is not just sitting idle, right? So companies are harnessing this data, massaging and uh, analyzing and distilling various kinds of insights so that they can put the right kind of product in front of you or me so that, uh, uh, you know, their browse to buy, right? Our browse to buy uh, rates are much higher. So the Economist article was interesting. Uh, it came in from the uh, angle of... Uh, um, the uh, you know, the relevance of uh, right uh, antitrust uh, um, policies in the in the modern age of data. So it had some very uh, interesting points. And one thing that I definitely agreed with the article uh, was about uh, the data safety, which you brought up too, right? Um, I think uh, we should have uh, you know we should uh, in fact start having data safety classes very early on in school years so that children who are growing up today can truly understand the implications of uh, what they share online and how their freely given data can be monetized by companies and how it can have unintended consequences, uh, etc. Perhaps you recently saw the uh, 23andMe, right, um, yeah. now um, is uh, going to... Or share the data, uh, DNA data, with uh, one of the pharma companies. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I think it's very important that uh, all of us, you know, particularly the younger generation, become uh, savvy uh, digital consumers by demanding control over uh, uh, what they supply in terms of their data. They demand transparency, um, you know, what information companies hold about us, and in what ways they monetize and how much money they have. Uh, so I think um, the control is now rather one-sided, right? We have given away our data, and I think we need to reclaim that control back, and more transparency could help. Uh, European Union's GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, is the right step in the direction. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, one of the complaints I often hear from individuals when I speak to them is that, you know, everyone is making money off of their data, uh, their individual's data, except for the individual. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, there are, we're all providing uh, the data free of charge, uh, obviously, and other organizations are using it uh, to profit. What, have you been asked that before, and what do you think of that statement? Yeah, we know we we provided data and we did get some value, right? We participated yeah. in 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 the experience, whether it's Facebook or Google and so on. So we got. But uh, what we I think uh, perhaps uh, many of us didn't realize is the the true value of the data in aggregate, right? Uh, so which is where the companies are massively um, leveraging the collections of data and the insights coming um, from that uh, in terms of uh, uh, new ways of uh, 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 revenue generation for them. 
So I think in aggregation is what the data is getting powerful uh, in terms of being able to draw inferences about the, uh, you know, about uh, different groups of customers, how they behave, how they buy, how they live, how they entertain, and so on. Mm. So how do you think? How, how do you um, how do you think that? I know we're running out of time here, but when do you think that the technology will be there to enable self-driving vehicles? The technology uh, has been. Um, you're asking about the um, uh, the availability of self-driving cars, right? The reality of that. Yeah, because I mean, sometimes I hear. Obviously, you know, we've had some we've had some mishaps uh, with Uber and and Waymo and 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 so on. Um, you know, do you think do you think that the technology is ready for self driving vehicles today, or if yeah, not, because yeah. I, I, I from what I understand, it's not really uh, at the moment. If not, do you see the do you see the the ability to actually from a pure technology perspective to have self driving vehicles in the next five years? And then of course legislation is a whole other uh, issue. I'm just talking about when do you think that cars will actually be ready to be self driving without the the worry of the different accidents and the different mishaps that have happened over the last, you know, year or so when they've tested them. Right. So that will continue. The technology will continue to improve. You know, given my experience of right, 25 years of looking at data and building uh, uh, systems that can be deployed in production and, uh, you know, in uh, to that can impact people, uh, what is the more important? Technology is really a small part of the of the, of the challenge here. Uh, the society, uh, the policies, and uh, mm-hmm. um, the, the the conditions need to mature in order to be able to uh, consume the AI technology. Think about the, you know AI technology being uh, uh, used in um, uh, diagnostic radiology. Uh, they well, right. you know. In my graduate school days, that's what we studied, how to interpret a mammogram uh, to be able to, you know, designate whether it has a benign lesion or a, right, uh, or a cancerous tumor. So technology has been around and it will continue to improve in terms of its accuracy. But are we ready uh, to completely deploy it into a non-expert in the field, which can lead to erroneously, right, Um, Right. um, uh, erroneous, uh, leading that person to make erroneous inferences. We still need to have the expert in in, in the field. So... Um, I think it's it's really the conditions uh, in which uh, the, the, the social there are, there has to be sociological the correct conditions in which these um, uh, AI system whether it's self-driving car or you know what I'm talking about in terms of healthcare or can be actually put in production and uh, impacting uh, millions of uh, lives. Those, those have to mature. So what are your big predictions over the next five or ten years? And I know that you you understand many elements of technology, not just not just one specific area, but what do you see as the big uh things coming in our in our world in our life over the next you know five ten years? yeah, definitely you know we talked about we touched on this basically our uh, um the the chatbots becoming truly uh, you know um uh, conversational and com- companions. I think uh, um, that will, I, I expect, continued progress in terms of the expansion of knowledge, you know, uh, being able to 
create questions on the fly and so on. IBM is working on a debater system, uh, which was in the news earlier in the year, and that is a clear example of where that area is going, so you'll continue to see. One other area which is in the forefront of my mind is about AI safety. And uh, um, this is about, um, you know, attacks happening on the data that these AI system would consume, uh, then that then which can be therefore tricked into uh, providing, uh, you know, wrong diagnosis or providing a wrong answer, or it could be, you know, in a self-driving car, uh, think about a stop sign, uh, you know, being. Uh, um, uh, uh, being perturbed in a way yeah. uh, the system thinks that it is a yield sign and proceed which can have a, um, you know, dangerous consequences. I, I think about that quite a lot in terms of how uh, data can be very easily, you know, manipulated and so on. I, and I hope to see AI safety emerging as a proper engineering discipline so that we can go beyond the fear and lack of guarantees uh, that exist today to having right provable guarantees and performances uh, um, as, a, as a true engineering systems. Chitra, thank you very much for your time today. This was very interesting. Also, congratulations on all of your success. Thank you, Raj. Thank you for having me. You have been listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. Remain educated. Be informed. Sign up for our newsletter and learn more at EvolveETFs.com.